Business leaders today need to go beyond meetings and management. There are action steps that nearly every leader needs to know to align with their core values and get the important priorities done. Welcome to the Grow Forward Today podcast with Paul D. Casey. Whether you're just starting out as a leader in your organization or have been a seasoned professional who wants to explore new ideas and practices, this will be an enlightening and highly applicable program. And now, your host, Paul Casey. So how is your decision-making process? Do you have a strong process? Do you rely on your own experience to solve and make decisions? Do you do you trust your gut? Are you sometimes surprised by the consequences of your decisions? We're going to talk about all that today. Today on episode 34 of the Grow Forward Today podcast, I'm going to do a solo episode on decision making because we are really known by the decisions we make and really that defines our lives. So its correlation to personal leadership development should be obvious. Ready to grow forward? Well, welcome, friends. Once in a while, I want to throw in a solo episode, and this one's going to be about decision-making skills. And I think it's very, very critical to that, whether you're deciding uh, what kind of pizza toppings you're going to uh, have as a family for date night or family night, <laughs> or you're deciding whether to move to a different house or to a different job. Some decisions are big, some are little, we're making thousands of them a day in real time. So it'd be great to have some steps in order to do them well. So T. Boone Pickens says, be willing to make decisions. That's the most important quality in a good leader. Don't fall victim to what I call the ready, aim, 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 aim syndrome. You must be willing to fire. Really, this applied to me when I began my entrepreneur journey. I was in nonprofit leadership for a long time. And then when it came to that decision of, should I go for another nonprofit leadership position or should I launch Growing Forward Services full time? That was a tough decision-making juncture in my life. And I had to apply a lot of the things that I want to teach today. Hopefully you can glean something from that, but it takes a lot of courage to take a leap after you've done all the sorting of making uh, what you think is a good decision. So there is fire uh, and that's a different uh, workshop or podcast episode completely, you know, pulling the trigger on something. Today, we're going to talk a little bit more about that process of decision-making. And if you want to be a leader, Leaders are known for the problems they solve, and the best problem solvers possess decisiveness. In fact, that's one of the book recommends that I will give you today, a book I read a couple of years ago by Chip and Dan Heath called Decisive. And I had a client that actually made that his word for the year in leadership because he was a little more hem-haw, hem-haw, and then it wasn't pulling the trigger and being decisive, and that made him feel weak as a leader. Decisiveness is one of the top four traits that matter as an executive. Want to know what the other three are? Well, it's reliability, quick adaptability, and the capacity to manage relationships. Throw in decisiveness with that, and that's what you need to keep moving up to the highest executive levels. Napoleon said, nothing is more difficult and therefore more precious than to be able to decide. So I want to take you today through a seven-step process for decision-making because some of us are pretty good at this. We might need to fine-tune in one area and others are like, wow, I, I really want to beef up my decisiveness this year. You know, we're all probably somewhere along a continuum. You've got the controller kind of folks who are the itchy trigger fingers and they're like, I've made the decision, boom. Now line up behind me or else, right? That's on one far extreme. On the other far extreme is the pleaser never unholstering their gun, so to speak. I hope the issues will just go away, right? You're probably somewhere in between, which is probably a healthy place, but we think we all need to lean a little bit more towards decisiveness and it's gonna make the people around us appreciate us and respect us even more. But frankly, let's be real. There is fear when we don't know which choice to make, right? I mean, if it's a obvious decision, we need to pull the trigger on that and just go for it. But most of these decisions that you would apply these seven steps to are ambiguous ones. They're like, I I don't see a clear decision here. There's a lot of good options. 
So what is this, where's this fear come from? You know, or maybe it's anxiety of what others will think. Right? If I pull the trigger on this, other people are going to diss my decision. John Maxwell, though, says the rule of 5%, no matter what you do, 5% will not like it. <laughs> so if you just go in knowing that somebody, if not many somebodies, aren't going to like it, uh, realize that's just part of life. Albert Einstein says it this way to give us more courage. He says, great spirits have always encountered violent opposition from mediocre minds. Yeah, there you go. Take take that, haters out there. <laughs> so there could also be not just the fear of what others will think, but the fear of failure. Like if I make this call, I'm going to lose money, right? Or I'm going to lose respect. But Maxwell, again, as a quote for this, he said, there's no adventure without risk. There is no meaning in life without a challenge. So at some point, we've got to have that courage to push through the fear of failure or making a mistake. And one other fear, anxiety I'll throw in here is the fear of regret that we didn't make the other choice. <laughs> Especially if you're more of that what I call golden retriever or beaver personality styles, right? It's hard for us to pull the trigger on stuff, even like ordering coffee at a coffee shop or off a menu at a restaurant. Because as soon as the food comes out, we see the other person's food come out like, oh, I should have got that. So that constant second guessing or maybe you're a member of overthinking anonymous. Yes, you know who you are. We need to start some chapters all over the world for that. So maybe some of those fears resonate with you. The forces of fear unleash a cascade of negative dynamics. Because when people are fearful, they become wary of other people or suspicious. Instead of seeking understanding, they look for advantage. They try then to control the situation to protect their preset ideas and desired outcomes. They create the very scarcity that they feared in the first place. And maybe you can observe some of those dynamics in your own life. Think to yourself, like, what happens when you're feeling fearful. I've had some of my clients say things like they hyper-focus to get through it, or they they overanalyze all the factors and they freeze up, or they go into introverting mode completely. Other people say they become self-protective or abrupt, even short-tempered. So rather than engaging their hopes and making a bigger pie together, they struggle to grab their own slice. Make decisions based on your strengths not on your fears. We could take some of the fear out of decision-making with surefire processes that frame and help us solve problems. This takes some discipline because sometimes we have to tell our inner puppy, uh, I have a puppy, so I get this right. Your inner puppy has to be told to sit and maybe even stay while you do the work necessary to make good decisions. Working through the process enables you to release the tendency to get caught up in solutions before you fully define the problem. And there's a little hint where we're going to start today. So let me give you a process for decision-making. And from the get-go, I want to say, please set aside more time than you think you'll need. Not to overthink it, but to work through these steps in this process. So I want you to think of a decision right now, one of your most crucial decisions. Maybe it's in your personal life. Maybe it's in your uh, work life, financial life, family life. I'm sure there's a decision that is a little bit more ominous than the others that is staring you in the face right now. So as you think about that, that will help you to work through these steps. And then you can literally use this as a workshop podcast episode. So let's start with number one. And that is to uncover the real issue. Uncover the real issue. I'm going to encourage you to write down the decision needing to be made very specifically. I found that nothing clarifies our thinking more quickly than paper and pencil. Half the solution is knowing the problem, the crux of the issue. So many times we have our ladder leaning against the wrong wall when we're climbing it. I don't know if you've heard that little anecdote before. It's like, I'm going up this ladder. And then at some point I realized I would have my ladder against the wrong wall. So now I got to go all the way back down, move the ladder to the right wall, and then I can make progress. So you think to yourself, what are the choices? 
So with that decision that you're struggling with right now, I mean, it could be as simple as where do I put my advertising or investment dollars, right, this year? First of all, figure out the what. So step one is to uncover the real issue. Step two is to write out a purpose statement which precisely explains why you are considering the decision. You're like, Paul, that just seems like I don't have time for that. Like, I don't want to, I don't actually write down anything. I'm just trying to think it through in my head. But I'm going to say this is really important. Like, why are you trying to decide what you're trying to decide? What's the context of this? You need a purpose statement. I know a, a local therapist here in my town who, when he's working like with a marriage couple, he'll say like, okay, what's the issue that we're going to talk about today so we don't get historical, you know, or squirrel off and pile on issues on the other person. And he writes it on a, a three by five card and puts it on the coffee table right in front of the couple. And so if they start to squirrel away or start to bring in other factors, he's like, no, we're working on this today. So with your decision to make, you're going to actually write that down. Why are you considering this decision? So submit your purpose statement to a series of questions. What am I trying to accomplish and why? What is my objective or my desired end result? If all goes, goes as well as I plan it, what do I really want at the end of this decision? What are my expectations and why? So all these things we're bringing to the table, but that key word is why when it comes to the purpose statement. If you stall at all here, I'm going to encourage you to break a bigger challenge into smaller, more manageable parts. A lot of us use the word overwhelmed when we have too much negative stress coming at us. And the word overwhelmed to me just means that the chunks that are coming at us are too big for us to handle, too big for us to mentally process. Maybe you've heard the word flooding, like your brain gets flooded. And so that's when some of us use the word overwhelmed. So we've got to run those issues through the chipper, I like to say, you know, like that if you're cutting down a tree and those uh, arborists, you know, they've got that machine where you take the branch and it goes, you know, it grinds it into sawdust. We have to do that with issues that are too big for our brain to process. Otherwise, we're just going to procrastinate it. We're going to freeze and then we're not gonna actually make any decisions on that issue. Happens all the time, right? Maybe there's some like scraps of paper that are just hovering around your desk right now. It's like, I gotta think about that. Like that's the thing that my team is waiting on me to pull the trigger on or your spouse or your family. Well, like, where are we gonna go on vacation this year? I don't know what it is, but there is that thing you know that you have to think through to make a decision on and you feel might, might you might feel a little overwhelmed because it's just too big. So break it down into something smaller. So first of all, you're going to uncover the real issue. And then without a purpose statement, it's not going to be easy to actually make this decision. Number three, and a lot of people have said when I teach this seminar live at live events, they say this is the number one takeaway from this workshop. And that is to use a set of filters for making decisions, a set of filters Otherwise, you know, I think we can rationalize anything, can't we? Our, our brain can rationalize anything. I'm just thinking about like wanting to go on a diet or, or to eat well, right? Maybe, you know, you need to lose some weight and you're like, okay, but I'm not going to start it this week because it's my birthday. And then it's like, okay, but next week it's my son's birthday. And then after that, then it's, well, you know, we're going to have a party at Labor Day and then, you know, we're going to get close to Halloween and we're going to celebrate Thanksgiving and then there's Christmas and then we're going to have a New Year's party and then the Super Bowl. You know, there's just like never a good time to start. We can rationalize any decision that we really want to make. So a set of filters is going to be more an objective thing that we have to run our problems and our uh, decisions through. So I'm going to give you a bunch of them here. You've got to make ones that are customized to your situation, but I bet you these, there's some of these that you can transfer to your situation. I was uh, at a company years ago where we actually made a set of filters for the big decisions that our board of directors needed to make. And we had them laminated and put on the table in the board meeting room where we were. Yeah, so, so at some point we hoped that somebody would say, hey, uh, have we 
have we uh, run through these filters right here on the table? And that was really good because it made us all stop and go, no, no, we haven't. We're just going based on our emotion or based on the feedback that we're getting. So that, that was really good for us to do. Okay, so here's a bunch of filters. See what one works maybe for the situation you're thinking about in your mind right now. What do my wise mentors or personal board of directors say? Who else has faced this decision? So I want you to think about, do you have someone in your life that you go to? They're just wise people, right? They're further down the road than you. They could be in your friendship category. They could be an industry leader. If this is a work issue, uh, these are just maybe they're idea people, but they're just wise. And you go to them when you have a dilemma, right? You want to enlist the help of more experienced colleagues. Maxwell says a great discussion is the precursor to a great decision. So you want to talk this out with someone uh, because it's just, if you're just, you could be a legend in your own mind, right? And that's not the best wisdom in the world. A second one is what does my experience say? My experience. So all the things that have led you to who you are today, you're going to take all those sort of mash them up and think about, okay, what have I learned from my experience? What are all those lessons? If I put them all together, what should I do? Does this negatively impact my personal vision or the company's vision? Or will this benefit my personal vision or the company's vision? Vision is that place where you want to get to someday. Like you may never completely get there, but you're always gunning for it. You're always shooting for that vision. So you definitely, this decision that's in front of you now needs to be in line with where you're going or where your company's going, or else obviously it's a no-go because it's going to take you off into the weeds. Number four, am I excited about this? Or is it the opposite? Do I get a pit in my stomach when I think about it? Now, this isn't one that you really want to bank too much, uh, give too much credence to it. I'll come back to this one later. But your intuition is just one of many filters. Don't rely too much on it. Because if you're typically like a conflict avoider and you've got a pit in your stomach, that doesn't necessarily mean don't do this thing. Like you may have to confront somebody because it's affecting your or the team's wellness, right? So you don't want to just say, well, I've, I feel a little sick to my stomach about it. And that could just mean you want to avoid the problem. But there's something about an excitement factor that makes you want to pursue a decision. Then you're going to go all in once you make that decision. So that's just one of the filters. Here's a fifth one. Is this a temporary solution or a long-term solution? Now, once in a while, you have to have a temporary solution, right? You've got to put a Band-Aid on something to get through the day uh, or get through the thing that's broken. But most of us know that the Band-Aid is eventually going to come off. And we want to make decisions that are long-term. So it's a good one to think about. Is this extravagance or excellence? Extravagance or excellence? I think most of us would say we want personal and company organizational excellence. Extravagance would be choosing something just to like look good on the outside, keep your image up. You know, it's you don't really need all those bells and whistles. How about how does this decision fit with my values? How does this decision fit with my values? Is there congruence there? Are we aligned or is there dissonance there? Dissonance is where you're just a little bit off. It is not aligned with your values. And again, you could make a call on that, but after a while, it's going to rub you the wrong way. You're going to feel a little bit off and you're not going to be living your authentic you or your team's not going to be on track, right? It's like you've lowered the bar and nobody's going to feel good about that long-term. Another, another filter is how will this impact the schedule of what's already on my plate? Okay, so this is a time filter. Do you have enough margin in your life to accomplish whatever this thing is that you're deciding? Does it really fit in your capacity? Like we all have different capacity levels and we also have different capacity levels in different seasons of our life. Is this one where you're just ramped up in all the areas of your life? So this decision, you've got to weigh that. Like, can I put another thing on my plate or is it going to make everything fall off the plate? Or is it like, yeah, I've got some margin right here. I think I could take that on. 
How about, do I have the resources available that will be needed? The resources available. So resources uh, could be time, like we just talked about. It could be money or finances to pull it off. It could be um, helpers. You know, so if it's a work thing, do you have personal assistants and there are other teammates that are going to help you? Uh, if, if it's at home, like is your family on board with this or are you solo? Like this decision is going to be only all on you. Do you have the resources available? Because if not, you're going to get angry. I mean, if you make this decision and you go forward, uh, you're going to get into this and you're going to be like, I feel totally alone. Nobody seems to care about the decision that was made, even though it's impacting others. And then you start getting resentful. So you've got an emotional buy-in to it, but then it turns into something yucky. A bonus filter here is, is this moving me forward towards growth or backward towards safety? Forward towards growth or backward towards safety? So obviously my business is called Growing Forward Services. This is the Grow Forward Today podcast. So I'm guessing by you by listening to this, you are a person that knows the direction is forward. When we go backward, it's often uh, out of fear and or hesitation or hedging uh, because we want to go to a safe comfort zone. And again, once in a while, maybe that's good because you can't take on anything else emotionally. Uh, but for the most part, it's like, yeah, but that's, that's still not where I want to go. I know this is going to be tough, but it's going to get me toward growth. So I don't know if you've got some filters that have come to your mind too, that you know you always have to ask yourself. I have one client, it's more of an otter kind of a client. He says, is it fun? That's one of his filters. Okay, cool. Because if it's not fun, you're not doing it right. Some people say, uh, will it help me learn or help the team learn and grow? I already mentioned the growth aspect. Uh, one, one client said, do I have a partner in the fight? So they don't want to make any decision where there's not someone right behind them or next to them and moving forward in this. So is there a partner in the fight? That was an interesting one because it is critical uh, to not feel alone in a decision. Once in a while, you know, we could do that, but otherwise uh, we might get resentful along the way. So what are your filters? Do you have some filter questions? I encourage you to write some down. And whenever you get to these junctures where you have to make a big decision, you're literally going to say, all right, I'm going to run through and it's going to be one way or the other. All right, let us go on to number four. Number four, which is do your research. Do your research. 94% of American workers trusted their data and did not seek additional sources when making a decision, says Harris Interactive. Wow, most people just do their first little flyby of their data and go, oh, it's very clear what we need to do, and they just went for it. Other people just go for it and they don't even have any data, right? They're just, they're going on their, their emotional, their gut. Don't just go with your fairy tale reaction, your fairy tale solution. I love the quote by Emily Cartier. She says, nothing is so dangerous as an idea when you only have one. <laughs> we need some more options. And in this book, Decisive, that I was touting earlier, you're going to see in there, like, you've got to increase your options. Because when you only have one, then you start this bias towards like, all right, I'm going to I'm going to prove that this is the this is the way to go because you don't have any other options to compare it to. So gather information about the alternatives. And one of the ways to do this is to utilize your team. Okay, If you're a solopreneur, you may not have a big team, but you may have some contractors or a personal board of directors, some idea people to bounce it off of. If you uh, literally have a team in your department at work, you can gather them together and see what they have to say. And by the way, talk last, don't talk first. You can present the problem and define it but don't be the one that says, and I think we should do this because then everyone else just bails on that discussion after that because they don't want to hurt your feelings or push back on you. Don't judge the ideas too quickly and don't take any shortcuts in getting to this decision. More options are better when you're feeling stuck. That's what I find even in my coaching practice that people who are stuck 
are those that only feel like they've got option A and option B, and they don't like either one. So then they're going to stay right here because they don't have any other options. So you got to get people to brainstorm. And the more they brainstorm, the more creative ideas come in. I, I actually know one leader, I heard this at a seminar once that he forces the team to come up with like 75 ideas for if it's like a big deal uh, in their organization. And he said the best ideas tend to come out at like 67, 68, 69. This is when people are just like, okay, we can't leave this room until we come up with more options. And they're throwing out ridiculous things and they're like, wait, we could do that. Or they play off, you know, that answer and they decide to make it a go. Jim Collins says, great decisions come from external awareness. So we need to get those different perspectives. And George Patton said, no good decision was ever made in a swivel chair. Yeah, I can't see him in a swivel chair. He was probably already making decisions uh, on the go. So don't move forward unless you've got at least three viable solutions. All right, it is time for a break. You're listening to the Grow Forward Today podcast on the Voice America Business Channel. You can find out more about me at growingforwardservices.net. That's all things Growing Forward Services are there uh, where you can learn about my coaching or seminars or uh, any of my five books are on there. We're going to come right back after our break and go into step number five of decision-making. Don't go away. If you're a manager or supervisor trying to keep your team and yourself engaged, motivated, and accomplishing goals, then you want to check out Bullseye, Paul Casey's membership community for team leaders, coming alongside you to achieve confidence and success in leading your team. Within Bullseye, there are plug-and-play forms and tools, inspirational audios to pump you up, team player videos to play in staff meetings, icebreakers for your one-to-ones, and of course, interaction with Paul and other industry team leaders to chat about how to solve the problems you are wrestling with. Paul will bring on live experts once a month to answer your questions on their expertise, and he will ping you twice a week via text to encourage you in your pursuit of your goals. Finally, there is a resource for anyone who supervises others and wants to develop their potential. Check out Bullseye to find out more and subscribe today for the best rates they'll ever be at growingforwardservices.net. That's growingforwardservices.net. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to the Grow Forward Today podcast. If you'd like to know more about Paul Casey or our program, please visit his website at growingforwardservices.net. Now, back to Grow Forward Today. Welcome back to the Grow Forward Today podcast. I'm your host, Paul Casey, and doing a solo episode today on courageous decision-making walking you through a process, a literal step-by-step process that will help you make better decisions. And you're making thousands of them a day, but some of them are going to rise to the top. They're just not like, should I, you know, go to the gym now or in five minutes (laughs) or hit the snooze button twice or three times. Now, these are some of the more major decisions that are going to change the course of your week or month or life. And we need to have a process for doing that to make better decisions. So far, we have talked about uh, coming up with framing that decision well, starting out with that, talking a little bit more of the purpose statement of why we're trying to decide what we're trying to decide. That was a, that was a big part. Then we talked about having a filter questions that we subject ourselves to, or if we're in a team situation, our team, so that it makes the decision a little bit more objective as we're sorting. Then we've got doing your research, coming up with more options, gathering some people together. Uh, I heard it said in the book, The Slight Edge, that you know when you're making a decision, you need information, you, know, you need the data, you need uh, some associations, right? You need to be able to have a bunch of people together to bounce it off of. And then you need this like this key person called a processor. Like you need someone that's going to work it through. A lot of people hire a coach 
for this when they're making decisions or they have a therapist or they have a mentor, they've got a really wise friend. Uh, Sometimes it's going to help you process in order to be successful because really every decision compounds, right? You, you make this one and you know it's going to alter the future in many other areas. And that's why I think we hedge sometimes in decision-making is because we're like, well, if I make this, it's going to spiral into that. And then again, we freeze because we think like that decision is going to impact everything in, in our lives and we get scared. But rarely does it do that. And I'll I'll come back to that in just a minute. But we are ready for step five, which is often what most people think of when they think of decision-making, which is list each option on a separate sheet of paper or on one paper divided in half with advantages on one side and disadvantages on the other. The old pros and cons. I've got a simple form for this. If you'd like me to send it to you, I'd be happy to. I'm at growingforward at paulcasey.org, growingforward at paulcasey.org. Simple decision-making tool up in the left-hand corner. Uh, it makes you define the problem. Uh, in the upper right-hand corner, this is the solution I think that I think we need to go with. So you've got your hypothesis, right? The one you're leaning toward already. And then the middle section is the alternatives. And I've got five, I've got a place for five different alternatives. Maybe you can't think of five for the decision that's in front of you right now. But again, more options, the better. And then there's a plus and a minus next to each one of those options or the pros and the cons. And again, this takes work. You're like, I, I could just sort this in my head, Paul. Yeah, you probably can. But there's just something about putting it on paper that makes one of these stand out. The bottom left of this tool says these are decisions that we or I am going to make. And the bottom right has the word reasons there. I don't know if you've ever been with your team before and you make a decision or with your family and you all decide on something. And then six months to a year later, you're like, I know we made the decision on that, but I can't remember why we chose to do that. And unless you take minutes at everything and you're able to refer back or find them easily, oftentimes we forget why we made a decision. Then we got to start all over with the discussion. So it's a handy dandy little form for making decision. Uh, but the whole process here is mapping solutions and deciding you know, what's positive and what's negative about each one. You don't have to use uh, the pros and cons form. Uh, you know, there's another graphic organizer you could use where you just, you know, take a big whiteboard or even a napkin and you put the solution that you think in the center and you surround it with lines and sort of like rays of the sun uh, for ideas how it might just work, right? So this is how to make an idea succeed. And it's okay to throw out zany ideas because it might increase the possibilities of a creative option. Or you could use uh, an organizer like that and put the pros on one side and the, the, uh, the cons on the other. But the key here is there are consequences to each course of action. Even if one seems like, oh, this is going to be the right one, there's still some potential consequences. So make sure you have two or three in order to calculate the impact. Some, because some are going to be almost negligible impact and others are going to be a little bit more like, this is going to rock our world of our company or our family. There's going to be a ripple effect on everyone around you. So some people who are hesitant with decision-making even throughout the worst case outcome at this moment in the process, the worst case out outcome. And I'll do this for people who are hesitant that are my clients who just keep hemming and hawing and they don't pull the trigger on something. As a coach, I'm always trying to push people towards action, right? It's gotta be their decision. But if they're sitting on something for a long period of time, I'm probing to figure out why they keep hesitating. There's usually some fear somewhere. And one of the techniques that we'll pull out is the worst case outcome. Now that worst case probably will not happen. And once that person declares the worst case outcome, and realizes it probably won't happen, they'll be like, well, even if that happened, it wouldn't be that bad, right? It, when nobody's going to die, we're not going to lose any limbs, you know, off of this, we're going to be able to recover from that. So that also, that often helps them go ahead and make, you know, pull the trigger on that. 
on this step, look at the situation from a variety of perspectives. So as you're doing this pros and cons, advantages and disadvantages, try to look at it from a variety of perspectives. It's almost like an out-of-body experience where you're going to pull yourself out of this because you're emotionally attached, let's be honest, uh, to the outcome. Uh, one one uh, decision-making technique is called the view of six. So you're going to think of six people that uh, are going to be impacted by the effects of your decision. So the view of six. So let's say this was uh, maybe a team decision at work. You're going to think about, okay, how will everybody on this team be impacted by this decision? There there might be your six right there. But then it's like, okay, my boss might be one uh, or a customer or client might be one. The community possibly is uh, affected by this. And uh, so you just try to get as many people as possible. It could be each of your family members. Maybe if you're doing a home improvement, it could be your neighbors might be impacted uh, by this or future owners of your home. You get the point. The view of six is great because by looking through the lens of six different people, you're probably going to make a pretty good darn decision because you're not just looking at it through your self-centered perspective. And uh, I found leaders that do this well often don't make their people ticked off when <laughs> they start in. Announcing a change initiative because they have thought through how it's going to impact people. One other tool I can introduce you to here from Susie Welch. She wrote a book called 10 10 10. You don't have to buy the book, although you can. Um, she says, here's the here's the method. So you think 10 minutes from now, 10 months from now, and 10 years from now, how will I feel about this decision? How will we feel about this decision? Now, 10 minutes from now, probably going to feel somewhat the same, unless it's really one of those, like, should I eat this cookie or not eat this cookie? Because maybe you're gluten intolerant, right? Okay, uh-oh, that's going to affect you in 10 minutes. Okay, but usually 10 minutes is going to be about the same. 10 months is going to be a big, a different deal, right? Now we're pushing this time window out, and I may not remember what decision I made today, 10 months from now. This is pretty big. The impact is probably not going to be huge. Then when you think 10 years from now, uh, there's very few things, very few decisions that I will make that are going to impact 10 years from now in a way that sort of rocks me to the core. Like, I'm so glad I made that. Like choosing your your career, your calling, your vocation, that's going to be a big deal 10 years from now. Deciding whether you're going to have children is going to be a big deal from now. Even getting a pet 10 years from now is going to be a big deal, right? Uh, a move, you know, across uh, state lines is going to be a big deal. So 10 years from now, but there are very few things that go in that category. You know what this does? It makes you sort of go like, okay. And you're, you're talking to someone else and you're having maybe an argument about this decision. Like 10 years from now, it's going to matter. And maybe you don't even look at each other and you sort of laugh like, no. <laughs> so then you're just like, okay, so let's stop putting so much pressure on ourselves. So think 10, 10, 10. And again, having a coach is going to help you sort through this step and the step that is next uh, on our list. Because doing it on our own, we do. We get we get biased. Let me, let me insert something here between steps five and six. And it's to beware of four decision-making warnings. Beware of four decision-making warnings. So, uh, because these are going to throw a wrench in your plan if you don't heed them. So, the first one are emotional decisions. I think you've heard me sort of allude to this throughout this uh, episode. Because emotional decisions can override our better judgment. Right? They can. We can, we can rationalize anything, like I said. And when I, you know, when I teach, uh, when I used to teach children, you know, because I was a teacher and then I was a principal and do assemblies, I would say like, your feeler overrides your thinker, <laughs> you know, just to try to break it down, not talk about the amygdala and uh, the frontal lobe, you know, the amygdala talk is like your lizard brain, which is fight or flight and freeze, where the frontal lobe is where the rational decisions happen. But then when you get emotional or you get angry or you get fearful, it kicks you back to the amygdala and uh, it's really hard to make a good decision. Colin Powell, uh, who passed away, I think last year, he said, do your homework, then go with your gut. 
right? So, but start with the homework part, start with the research, which is what we talked about in step four. Okay, beware of that. Beware of time pressure decisions. Yeah, we've all had these, right? We're about to go on vacation and the, and the team's like, well, while you're gone, we have to pull this off. So we need to make the call today, you know, or because something is potentially going to break, you know, you have to decide whether you're going to call the repair person today or put it off till after your trip. Time pressure decisions often add stress and they force a quick judgment on something and don't allow you to go through this process that we're talking about. So beware of those. Beware of overconfidence, overconfidence. What that does is it blinds you to the alternatives and other points of view, because it's like, no, I know a call and we're going to make on this. I just, I just know, you know, I feel it down deep in my bones, or I've been through a situation like this before, and this is the right thing to do. And it's like, you put uh, this huge wall up for anybody else to speak into you are not teachable. You are closed-minded at that moment. That's what overconfidence can do. It's a real danger. A fourth warning for decision-making is sunk cost bias. Sunk cost bias. It's like, well, you have put lots of energy into something. You have put lots of money into something. And uh, maybe you even hired some people if this is a work thing uh, uh, to make something go. And then you realize it's not working. Like it's just not working. It's not selling uh, or it's just causing problems, but it's like, I got to just keep riding this out. <laughs> I see this all the time when I watch some of my favorite shows like Restaurant Impossible. I love these turnaround shows, you know, and uh, people just continue to lose money in their restaurant year after year after year. And you look at them when you're watching the show and you're just like, why didn't you get out? And then they talk about like, but if I lose this, I lose everything or my house is on the line. And uh, Robert Irvine, you know, come in and just be like, okay, we're going to make this work. But you see people keep throwing good money or priority time after bad. That's what sunk cost bias is, where you throw good money and more time after bad, even though it's you're not pulling out of this cul-de-sac. It just keeps going the wrong way. So then we make the decision to just stick with it because of all we've invested. And I totally get this because I hate undoing or redoing things. You know, I invested in something uh, for my business last year and no one bought it, you know? And then I was like, oh, but I put to pay so much money for that, uh, for that program, but, but no one bought that thing. So maybe I should try again, you know? <laughs> and it's like, okay, but there's probably either a flaw in my marketing plan or in how I did that, or maybe people just didn't want it. And I didn't do enough, um, uh, marketing upfront to, to show like this really was, uh, a pain point that people really wanted. And so I decided to not go with the sunk cost bias on that. So four decision-making warnings, emotional decisions, time pressure ones, overconfidence, and sunk cost. All right. That was step number five on uh, pros and cons, listing the advantages and disadvantages, thinking 10, 10, 10, and looking through the view of six. Let's go on to number six, which is to identify your top priority action. So you're looking through all those advantages, all those disadvantages. You're going to pick your top priority one, most advantages, least disadvantages, of course. And then you're going to line up the other actions in descending order of importance because it's possible that number one doesn't work out. So that's your roadmap. You're going to do one last check for courageous decision-making. And I'll go back to, uh, you know, the leadership guru, John Maxwell, uh, love John Maxwell. I got to meet the guy. You know, I've read so many of his books, listened to so many of his audios over the years. Uh, I use a lot of his stuff in my seminars. I always want to give him credit because he's got great stuff in many of his books. He says, um, first of all, it's the risk test. So as you look at that number one priority action, the decision you're going to go with, the risk test says, is this decision reasonable or is it reckless? Because once in a while, we might pull something out that's just like, okay, that's um, the, the average person would go like, that's a little crazy. Not that we don't sometimes have to make what seems to others like a crazy decision. Remember the Einstein quote earlier, but is it a reasonable thing? What makes something reasonable? Well, is it built on strategy, right? Have you, have you done the due diligence and thought about, yeah, this is, this is aligns with where we're going. 
right? It's it's a really good strategic move that would be reasonable, or if it's just based on hope, <laughs> which would be a reckless. Like I just hope this works out. Okay, hope is not a strategy. It's good to have hope, by the way, but uh, just saying like I hope this is going to work out is not a good strategy. That would be reckless. Uh, if it plays to your strengths, that would be a reasonable thing. This is your collective strengths as a team or organization or your personal strengths. Uh, I, I like to recommend people to take Strength Finder or Clifton Strengths Finder if you want to Google that. Uh, by, by just doing the 1999 survey, it's going to give you your top five strengths. And uh, you, of course, want to base your decisions in that strength zone. You want to spend lots of your time and energy in your strength zone or else you feel weak. And if we spend too much time in our weak zone, that's probably going to be reckless because it's probably not going to work out as well. And you're not going to have as much joy. You're not going to be able to hang in there as long to support that decision. Uh, also with the risk test is, does it have some margin of error or no margin of error? No margin of error clearly would be reckless because it's like all or nothing. But some margin of error is going to give you a little bit of a cushion to be able to adapt and flex uh, if you have to uh, make, a, make some adjustments. Is an extension of what you do well or it has no connection with what you do well. To think about your brand, your personal brand, or your your company brand, um, would people say like, yeah, that goes in line with that? Or would it be like, wow, they're just going way outside, uh, not just their comfort zone, but what they're really good at? And that might be considered reckless. Does it challenge you or does it discourage you? So you might this one might be hard for the risk test because reasonable and challenge, I don't know if you'd put those in the same category, but if it discourages you, it's definitely going to be reckless because, again, you've got to have some emotional buy-in. There has to be a payoff or a big why for you to continue down this course of action. And a challenge is often a motivator for most people. Okay, Maxwell's second test that you would run it through before you uh, hit the go button, is the emotional stamina test. The emotional stamina test, which basically says, can I handle the heat? Okay, you know, when you pull when you pull the trigger on something and you make a decision, you're going to get some flack. That's what I mean by the heat. Like somebody's going to push back. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's your team or uh, customers, clients, your boss, the board, whoever it is you're accountable to. And they're going to lean in and go like, all right, that's not what I was thinking. And they're going to put you in the hot seat. And at that moment, you've got to be able to handle the heat and say, this is my process that I have worked through. And I'm willing to go to bat for this. A third test to run it through is the passion test. The passion test. Is this a burning desire within me or not? Right. Again, your big why will fuel the goals, it will fuel the effort. So if you're just sort of meh about it, people are going to see the meh reaction in their leader. They're going to see it in you and they're not going to want to follow you along that. So there has to be fire in your belly towards something. It When you do have passion for a decision, it's like a turbo boost on effort. Like I've seen people commit to um, go all in a multi-level marketing companies, right? And they go to the seminar, they go to the conference and they're all in and they're just fired up. You can see themselves like radiating with an aura, you know, around them and all the pushback that you give them. They're just like, no, it's going to be great. And you're going to love it. Uh, you can tell their passion is very high at that moment. And you hope that they keep it. The fourth test is the responsibility test. Responsibility test says, Will I take ownership when I make the call? Okay, because there is no blame game allowed once you make the decision. To blame, uh, I like to put a hyphen between the B and the L in blame. So it's to be lame. <laughs> when you blame, you're being lame. Nobody wants to be lame. So uh, you can't say like, well, everybody put pressure on me, so I made the decision. Nope, okay, you can't say that. You gotta stand on your own two feet once you make the call on this and take ownership for it, no matter uh, hell or high water, you know, comes at you. It's like, all right, we're in for this. 
And then finally, the intuition test. Notice this is the last one. Uh, it's still a big deal. And, and let me just add something here that I've read is that uh, some of you might say, like, I don't think I have a great intuition for some of these decisions. But the more you become an expert on something and the more experience you have, it just seems like your intuition is more right on the more time you spend with something. So, so become more of an expert on the thing, right? The skill. Um, and then your intuition, you can listen to it a little bit more. If you are way outside your comfort zone on something, I wouldn't listen to the intuition that much because your gut feeling is has no experience to pull from. All right, so the, those five tests again are the risk test. Is it reasonable or reckless? The emotional stamina test, can I handle the heat? The passion test, is this a burning desire within me? The responsibility test, will I take ownership once I make the call? And the intuition test, what is my gut feeling? Uh, I'll add one here. I heard that uh, fighter pilots go with the OODA method of making decisions, O-O-D-A, which stands for observe the situation. Okay, you, just, you sort of take it all in. Then you orient to it like, okay, I've got to sort of get grounded on this to figure out like I am here on this issue. Then you make the decision uh, in your head. So that's the thought. And of course you do that with your team and then you act. Okay, so you've done already in this process, observe, orient and decide. Now it's time for number seven, the act part, which is take courage and pull the trigger. Pull the trigger. Make the best decision you can with the information that you have. You're going to just poke the box. Poke the box is a book by Seth Godin where he says, like, as children, you know, we sort of toddle up to toys that we don't know and we touch them and things light up and jack-in-the-boxes pop up in the air. We're delighted or stunned or surprised. Uh, we just sort of explore the thing. You know, my puppy does this as well. Uh, for something he doesn't realize. Uh, but as adults, we hedge, right? We, we look at stuff like, oh, I can't touch that. Or if I, I do that, I might break. Or we think about all these consequences that might happen. But Godin is saying, like, you just need to ship it. You need to, you know, put it out there and then you can iterate off of it. So I'm saying that here that you just need to make a call. Like any call is better than just staying right here and having your team just keep staring at you and going, come on. You, you got to do something. Here's the point. Even huge decisions decide only a fraction of the, of the outcome, the ultimate outcome. Even the huge ones. You can make mistakes. You can make even big mistakes and prevail. You can't say all the decisions you've made in your life have been good ones, right? None of us can. But you're here. You're still standing. Yeah, you bounced back if it was a bad decision. You recovered. I think of even lots of millionaires that are influencers out there that you may see on TV or hear on podcasts. They talk about they lost it all. And I thought, oh, lost it all. Like, I can't even imagine what that would feel like. And now they're making like double what they did back then, you know, or, or triple or quadruple. And it's like, wow, they didn't let it keep them down, even though they made a, a really bad decision or the market took them out for a while. A bad decision is the one you didn't make. So this is the change of mindset for us. The bad decisions are the ones we don't make. We're going to regret the ones we didn't make. Okay, it's probably less of that. It's less of uh, regretting the decisions we did make that didn't work out than the ones like, man, I wish I would have, right? We don't want, go, want, don't want to go to our grave with too many of those wish I would have decisions. So now you're going to iterate based on the decisions and the results you're getting, right? So it's like, okay, I didn't know all the facts, but I threw it out there and, oh, okay, I need to make a left or a right turn. Great leaders deal with the consequences. They focus, they listen to the feedback they're getting. Then they navigate the unpredictable course of life. And in so doing, they inspire those they lead to make their own great decisions. So when you make decisions and other people are watching you make them, they're going to be like, oh, I can make decisions too. And, oh, that one didn't work out, but it looks like he's not or she's not freaking out. Like they're, they're just iterating off of that. We had to do this a lot during COVID. We had to make different decisions than we were typically used to. Some people uh, survived well. Others just sort of sat on their laurels and didn't make any decisions. 
and they didn't grow through that period of time. But you can be inspirational by being decisive. Well, finally, some just some good old old-fashioned advice when you are at a turning point. Uh, first of all, humor. Stephen Wright says, if you must choose between two evils, pick the one you've never tried before. Okay, just kidding. So no, seriously. Andy Stanley uh, in the book, Ask It, says the number one question to ask yourself is, what is the wisest thing to do? What is the wisest thing to do? In light of my past experience, what's the wisest thing to do? In light of my current situation and my emotional state right now, we're all in a different emotional state. What's the wisest thing to do? In light of my future hopes and dreams, what is the wisest thing to do? Oftentimes, that's going to just, just in your gut, you're just going to be like, oh, I know, I know what the wisest thing to do is in this situation. Here's a couple other little ones. What would your hero or would your mentor do in this situation? Okay, oftentimes when you think about your mentor and how wise that person is, and if they were faced with a decision, oftentimes they'll be like, okay, I know what they would do because I've watched them enough make decisions uh, and I probably should make this one. Here's one. What would you tell your best friend to do? <laughs> Isn't it amazing? Like when uh, we're faced with a decision and uh, we don't do the thing that everybody else is like, well, it's pretty obvious you should do that. But then when our friends are at a crossroads, we're like, well, you should definitely do this. I mean, isn't it, isn't it obvious that you should do that? <laughs> so we need to flip that back on us, the spotlight, and say, what would you tell your best friend to do? That's probably the good, good advice. And here's a fun one. Mel Robbins says, when in doubt, flip a coin. Now, stick with me on this. You'll secretly be rooting for one or the other when the coin's in the air. And that's probably what you truly want. Does that make sense? So you're going to be like, all right, I really don't care. Heads or tails? Uh, okay, heads. And you flip it in the air. If you're rooting for heads or tails, that's probably the one that you should do. If you really don't care, then you're just going to let it hit the ground. You're going to go with it. That's probably the one you want. Bruce Tolgan says, rigorous ongoing scrutiny and evaluation of decisions is the essential process of continuous improvement. So if time, if you have time, which we usually have enough time, we need to do an after action review like the military does on recent decisions. Right. We just need to think through a decision we've made and go like, how'd that go? What was the decision that was made? Who made it? Did, did we you know, get lots of input on this? What was the outcome of our decision? What were the results that we're getting? What were the leading alternative decisions that were not made? Right? Why did we not choose two and three and four? What different uh, outcomes might have occurred had we gone that route? Now, we don't want to spend a lot of time on that because that's often just the, the place of regrets. But an after-action review is going to help you make even sharper decisions next time by debriefing the decision that you have. Does that make sense? Okay. So again, let's just sum up our, uh, our points here. You're going to uncover the real issue. You're going to, by writing down the decision that needs to be made, very specifically, you're going to write out a purpose statement, the why you're trying to decide what you're trying to decide. You're going to find a set of filters for making decisions that fit you and you're gonna objectively work through those. You're gonna do your research to get more than just one option. So you've got plenty to choose from. You're gonna do the pros and cons, advantages and disadvantages, mapping those out, even looking worst case scenario, thinking 10, 10, 10, and the view of six. You're gonna be aware of some warnings like emotional time pressure, overconfidence, and sunk cost biases, because those are gonna mess with your whole system. You're going to identify your top priority action, and you're going to run through those last tests that uh, Maxwell says to do, and then you're going to pull the trigger. And uh, you're not going to worry too much about that outcome because you made the best call with the information that you had. Okay, so nothing changes if nothing changes. So I'm going to encourage you to be more decisive. I'll close with a quote here by Ralph Waldo Emerson in The Right to Lead. He says, whatever you do, you need courage. Whatever course you decide upon, there's always someone to tell you you're wrong. There's always difficulties arising, which tempt you to believe that your critics are right. To map out a course of action and follow it to the end requires some of the same courage which a soldier needs. Peace has its victories, but it takes brave men and women to win them. 
So the Growing Forward Today podcast is all about putting the practical tips from my guests and today from me into actions for your personal leadership development. Remember, if you learn something and don't put it into action within 72 hours, those valuable gems start to slip out of your brain gradually until they lose their value to your life. So I've got a free tool for you. If you go over to my website, growingfordservices.net, there's a free animal personality quiz on there to find out if you are a lion, otter, golden retriever, or beaver. Not only will you get your results and how to bring out the best in your style, but you'll be in the Growing Ford tribe from then on. And it will just be great to be a resource for your growth. Of course, you can go to my socials as well to connect with me, Growing Ford Services on Instagram and Facebook. Paul D. Casey on LinkedIn. Thank you for listening to episode 34. Uh, I hope you'll share this. Please spread the word about this podcast to those in your circle of influence if you know that they're hungry to grow forward in their lives. Remember, you must lead yourself well before you can lead your team well. And until next week, keep growing forward. Thank you for tuning in for this episode of Grow Forward Today. Remember to visit Paul's website for more tools that you can use at growingforwardservices.net. Join us again for another edition very soon on the Voice America Business Channel. 